team. Thanks, Emily, for being with us on short notice. Good to have you back. And thank you guys for being with us on somewhat of short notice as well, at least uh, on the calling of the audible and uh, moving to this evening. I'm so glad that we're still able to do this. I mean, it's just good to be together as God's church and worship together morning, evening, night, uh, anytime. So uh, thanks for being here and braving the elements to do it. I pray you'll be blessed for it. Uh, before I move on, get into the sermon and forget, um, you'll notice we're trying to just cut some pieces out and get you uh, home early before everything refreezes. And so um, we're not going to do announcements. Check your bulletin for those. I'm not going to give you the whole spiel about being new here because none of you are. Uh, I've looked around. <laughs> I've looked around. Um, so we don't have to do that. Uh, and as far as the offering goes, um, you'll see baskets on your way out. Um, ushers will be holding baskets on your way out if you want to um, drop your offering in. That'd be great. So let's uh, dive in. Tonight we are um, starting a new sermon series uh, that we've entitled DTR, um, which for you non-millennials, that stands for Defining the Relationship. Um, so that's what we're going to uh, attempt to do over these next four weeks together, um, is to define the relationship specifically between um, the church and her pastor. Because, as you're all well aware by now, um, four weeks from now, uh, Pastor Gary, our lead pastor um, of, of 30 years, for those of you on the video who, who might be watching who aren't at West Hills and unaware, uh, will be retiring and uh, I will be transitioning into that lead pastor role. And so we want to prepare ourselves as a church. We want to prepare you um, for that transition by reviewing God's call on the life of a pastor, on the life of the church, uh, and the relationship between the two. And so uh, this week, we're going to focus on and answer the question, what should you as the church expect from me as your pastor? And next week will be a part two uh, what should I, as your pastor, expect from you as the church? Uh, and, and, and so we'll have, uh, and then Gary's actually going to preach parts three and four, and he's actually going to, in a lot of respects, um, echo and, and kind of repeat these same themes, but from the perspective of his you know, very different personal experience of 30 years, so we'll have a lot more you know, wisdom uh, to shed on it, but tonight we're going to be, you know, rooted in, in Scripture and see what God has to say just in principle about what you should expect from a pastor and uh, what should I next week expect from you as the church. Polly and I uh, just finished um, walking through an eight-week premarital counseling process with Tim and Mary Morgan, soon to be Scott, um, and the very first week that we spent together before we did anything else, we discussed um, expectations. What, where do you expect to live? Where do you expect to work? How many kids? How much sex? How do you expect to be comforted when you're hurting? How do you expect to be confronted uh, when, when he's mad at you? Clarifying expectations is such a huge part of any healthy relationship. Um, we have to be able to get on the same page. And so my relationship with you as a church is no different. And fortunately, God has already given us the page that we are to get on, a uh, page right out of his good book. So in a moment, we'll turn to that. Uh, we'll, we'll be in Psalm 23 specifically. But before we do, I want to say 
Just a word of context uh, about this word, pastor. Um, most of us today in the church simply take uh, the pastor's role for granted. But it's worth pausing here, I think, to note that you won't find the word pastor anywhere in your Bible. Uh, pastor is the Latin word for shepherd, which made its way into church vernacular uh, in the third century as the church was beginning to attract more and more ethnically Gentile, linguistically Latinized followers. And so that word, however, shepherd, is all over the Bible, and that's where we want to park this evening. Uh, what we do find all over Scripture is God calling and then raising up leaders from amongst his people to serve as shepherds over his people. It's the primary metaphor that God uses for leadership of his people. And so when it comes to folks like Gary and myself, you can call us pastors, you can call us shepherds, you can call us poimenas uh, for all um, if you want to be incredibly biblical about it and use the Koine Greek term, poimenos. But uh, what matters more than what we're called is what we're called to do, to shepherd. John 21, 16, Jesus commissions Peter to shepherd my, my sheep. First uh, Peter 5, Peter then in turn commissions his elders of his churches to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. In Acts 20, Paul likewise exhorts his elders to shepherd the church of God. And in Ephesians 4, we hear that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so as pastors, we shepherd because God is our shepherd. We follow in his footsteps and his example. Jacob declares as far back as Genesis, God has been my shepherd all my life long. David begs the Lord to save your people, be their shepherd. Uh, Asaph recounts how God, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So we have this introduction of this, this concept of God leading by and through these under shepherds that we'll, we'll get to here in a moment. Um, therefore, because of that, we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, we thank uh, the Lord because he is our God, because we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand, Psalm 95. God promises, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock. When we're hurting, God tenderly cares for us. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And he promises, I will gather the remnant of my flock. I will bring them back to the fold. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, Jeremiah 23. And of all the shepherds that God sets over his flock, none, of course, compares to Jesus. Matthew introduces us to him by way of Micah's Old Testament prophet, uh, Old Testament prophecy of a coming ruler, who will shepherd my people, Israel. And then John, in his gospel, uh, uh, or, or rather in the book of Revelation, uh, later, John prophecies of Christ's future shepherding upon his glorious second coming, 
in the, in the book of Revelation chapter 7. The lamb in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and he will guide them to springs of living water. This beautiful imagery of what Christ is going to do upon his return for us. But even when he was here on earth and even today as he still continues to shepherd and lead us, we have this beautiful description from Jesus himself of how he shepherds us in John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my own know me. Christ is indeed our great shepherd of the sheep, Hebrews 13. He is indeed the shepherd and overseer of your souls, 1 Peter 2. And as our good shepherd, who knows just how prone we are as sheep to wander, our tendency to stray like sheep, Isaiah 53, God graciously gifts his church, not only with his own guidance through his word, through scripture, and not only through his own lived example and the person of Jesus, a model to follow, and not only with the guidance of his own spirit to abide within us, a personal shepherd for our souls, but because he knows our tendency even still to neglect his word, to ignore Christ's example, to grieve the Holy Spirit that lives within us, God goes beyond that to bless his people with pastors to shepherd the church. So that's what we want to focus on um, this evening. The term we sometimes use, I already used it for you, is under shepherds. Jesus is the ultimate good shepherd over all of us. Uh, he, he alone is the head of his church. Pastors then are, are his servants, are merely under shepherds. We're called to follow his lead. Now, I say we're merely under shepherds, but I want to be clear, this is no small task, pastoring. Hebrews 13, 17 describes leaders in the church as those keeping watch over your souls, those who will give an account. And so, in agreeing to be your pastor going forward, Hebrews 13 implies that one day I will stand before Jesus' throne and he will read a list of every single one of your names, those of you who are members who have entered into this covenant relationship with West Hills as a church. He will read your names and I will offer an account for the oversight, for the shepherding of each of your souls. That's a, that's a pretty high calling. So there's a lot of weight and responsibility that comes with, with leadership in the, in the church, spiritual leadership and overseeing someone's soul, the most important part of a human being. And so the question for me in particular, I'm kind of preaching this sermon to me, but I'm, it's also for you to hold me accountable and to know what you should expect from a pastor is how do I do that well? If my calling is to shepherd you, how do I do that well? There's one uh, chapter that stands out on shepherding more than any other in Scripture that I think is worthy of our detailed exposition tonight, and that's Psalm 23. One of the most well-known and well-loved chapters in all of Scripture. It's all about shepherding. The Lord is my shepherd. It's my shepherd. I shall not want. And so insofar as we earthly under-shepherds are called to pattern our leadership after God's own perfect example, I want to examine Psalm 23 together this evening and give you seven qualities of a godly shepherd. These are seven principles of good leadership that God embodies perfectly, but that you ought to look for and expect from your pastor. And so, if you would, stand with me um, as you're able for the reading of God's word. 
from Psalm 23, and because it's so beautiful and you love it so much, I'd like to invite you to read it out loud with me this evening. Words are on the screen for you. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you lead us, you guide us, you shepherd us so well. Thank you for Jesus, for the model, the example of a perfect shepherd that he is to us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, for the ongoing, continuing guidance and shepherding of our souls. Uh, We pray that um, this evening your Holy Spirit would be here and present, work in our hearts, in our midst, um, that you would help us to faithfully interpret, digest, and uh, unpack your word and apply your word um, to our lives, especially me as a pastor, um, but for your people here, your flock of West Hills, um, that we would uh, glean what you would have us to glean from uh, this meal. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for the ways that you shepherd us. We pray that you would um, do that this evening. You would be blessed by our time together. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, quality number one of a good shepherd is a good shepherd provides. Uh, verse one says that David, uh, he tells us, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So first and foremost, a shepherd provides for his sheep. Provides what? Is the natural question. Verse 2 gives us the context. Green pastures, still waters. Today we read that, and often we hear a symbol of peace and tranquility. God provides us with rest. That's not wrong, but a first century literal shepherd hearing green pastures, still waters, would immediately recognize what? Food for my sheep. Pastures. Water. Drink for my sheep. And so God provides us by feeding us, by nourishing us. This is why we pause and we pray before meals, because we know that every good gift comes from above, James 1. Especially gifts as good as the Chick-fil-A sandwich you're about to devour, right? Just not on Sundays. But as Jesus reminds us, after he's been fasting for 40 days nonetheless, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus affirms that even more vital to our nourishment, our sustenance, than our physical food is our spiritual food. 
It's our spiritual provision. And so pastors then are called primarily to spiritually provide for and feed the flock. Now, Jesus did both. Jesus preached the gospel first, meeting the crowd's more pressing, urgent spiritual need. But then when they got hungry, he miraculously multiplied the loaves and the fishes and fed them physically too. Unfortunately for you, I am not a miracle worker. And so um, we probably won't be doing a lot of multiplying of loaves and fishes on Sunday mornings. I'll try and have you over for dinner at some point if you stick around the church long enough. Um, But until then, what I can promise you is that as an under-shepherd, my first priority for this church will always be the most important eternal spiritual need, spiritual sustenance. That's exactly what Jesus calls Peter to in John chapter 21. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times, and three times Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, prove it. How? By feeding my lambs, by tending my sheep, by feeding my sheep. And so three chapters later, that's exactly what Peter does in Acts chapter 3 when he and John are walking into the temple and the lame beggar asks them for some grocery money. And Peter replies, what? Silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give to you. And he heals the man physically, yes. But why does he do that? It's clear in the text. He does it to gain an audience so that he can get the attention of the crowd so he can use it in order as an opportunity to preach the gospel, to spiritually, eternally nourish souls, 5,000 souls. We have people stop by the church here periodically who ask for financial help, and sometimes we give them um, some, some grocery money, a gas card. Sometimes we don't, and I say, silver and gold, have I none? But what I do have, I offer you. And I sit with them, and I share the gospel. And I try and explain how this is more important, more, more, more lasting, eternal, the spiritual sustenance. You're going to need food again in a few hours anyways. You're going to need gas again in a few hundred miles. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger again. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. That is the deeper need. And that is what is going to be on the menu every Sunday at West Hills. You should come on Sundays expecting to feast on the word of God That is my primary role here. I am a chef. God's word is your food. That's your sustenance. The Holy Spirit is your digestive tract. I am just the chef. But a good chef should know how to take a delicious, nutritious, various foods and combine them and prepare them and present them in such a way that he brings out their best flavors in an even more delectable way. It's like, um, any of y'all like the, the show Chopped on the Food Network? Yes, chopped, where they give these skilled chefs four different food items, pork belly, nacho cheese, kale chips, and licorice. And and they say, you've got to figure out how to combine them in in a way that makes a cohesive, appetizing dish. That's what a pastor teacher does. I'm trying to take the text for the week from 1 Corinthians 11 on on head coverings, and I'm trying to apply it to our 21st century uh, church setting where we have women in all kinds of leadership roles unimaginable 2,000 years ago, and maybe tie it in with our new city catechism topic for the week, and also not forget this tragic news cycle event that happened in the week that's on all our minds and our hearts. That all factors into a sermon. 
Now, that would be a particularly tough week of preaching. That would be a nacho cheese and pork belly and licorice kind of, kind of week of teaching. But that is a pastor's job to take all of that and to, to provide a spiritually nourishing meal to feed God's sheep. But it's also worth reminding you here that the kitchen is always open. The kitchen is always open to you too. God wants us to come and feast all the time, not just on Sundays. You come and you cook anytime you get hungry throughout the week, which should be a lot. It should be often. We should hunger and thirst for God's righteousness constantly. I mean, some of y'all might even be better chefs than I am. And so then our job becomes to give you opportunities to cook for the rest of us, to put you in those kinds of opportunities where you can prepare meals for others. That's actually implied in the Ephesians 4 passage that we uh, looked at a moment ago. Apostles, the prophets, the evangelisms, uh, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. The last two uh, roles that Paul gives us there, the Greek grammar there, um, actually it would be better translated as a hyphenated uh, one role combined, shepherd teachers. It's like Paul is saying, primarily what it means to be a shepherd is to teach God's word and to train up others to do it as well. So much so, that when I sat down with the rest of the elders uh, to discuss my role here as lead pastor, and we looked at each of these seven qualities, and we discussed the relative weight that I ought to give to each, this first role of spiritual provider, of five-star chef of God's word, of teaching and preaching, of expositing a scripture, and of proclaiming the gospel, it was so important to us, so primary, that we agreed that it should consume somewhere between 50 and 90% of my job as a pastor. That was the range suggested. I'll let you guess who, who said 50 and who said 90. That, 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 but that is how important it is. Listen, there is a lot that goes into solo pastoring a church of 200 plus people. There's a lot, a lot of needs, pastoral care, Pastoral counseling, premarital counseling, weddings, funerals, hospital visits, prayer gatherings, worship nights, life groups, uh, deacon trainings, rescheduling worship services. But at the end of the day, what you all need most in your life, more than me, is not, not more of my wisdom, is not more of my advice, more of my pastoral presence in your lives, but it's more of him. It's more of his presence. It's more of his wisdom. It's more of his advice. So my job is to point you to him. Quality number two of a good shepherd is he leads. David says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So consider the Old Testament shepherd leaders that we hear of. Moses asked God when he retires uh, in, in Numbers chapter 27 to appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. And what is God's response? He tells Moses, take Joshua and you shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. So God raises up Joshua to succeed Moses in leading the people as their under-shepherd. Or think about King David. The Israelites exclaim, when Saul was king over us, it was you, David, who led us out and brought in Israel. So the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel. Asaph says, God chose David his servant 
And he took him from the sheepfolds to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. So in the same way that Jesus calls a bunch of lowly fishermen to be his disciples and become fishers of men, God here calls David, a lowly shepherd, the lowest occupation on the social food chain, to leave the sheepfold and to come shepherd God's own people as king over all of Israel instead. This is how God works. God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Why? So that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Jesus' kingdom is an upside down one, where the first are last and the last are first, where whoever would be great among you must be your servant, whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Of course, God would choose the 12 most uneducated, ignorant peasants to turn the world upside down. Of course, God would choose the weakest, scrawniest, shortest, youngest of the eight brothers to become the most powerful king in Israel's history. Of course, God would choose a guy like me to lead pastor a church. Because that is how God gets the most glory. When the world has absolutely no rational explanation for how that person accomplished that feat. Because that person didn't do it. The only possible explanation is that God did. God's the only one who could do it. And so what does it mean for me to lead well as your pastor? Well, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 20 what it means, uh, what it doesn't mean to lead. Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, how do they lead? They lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Leadership does not, in God's church, mean pulling rank. The church is not a business where the lead pastor is CEO. And you'll notice, by the way, I keep referring to the title here, myself, as lead pastor, because pastors are called to lead. I'm not your head pastor. Jesus is the head of the church, Ephesians 5. I'm not your senior pastor. I've been here three years, and some of you are twice my age. And because, frankly, leadership in God's church is not based on seniority anyways. Rather, I am called to lead, and specifically to lead you by serving you. To serve even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus, of all people, had every right to pull rank. To say, because I said so, and I'm Jesus. But that's not how he led The elders and I are reading a book right now um, on spiritual leadership entitled, They Smell Like Sheep. And uh, when I first read the title, I thought, yeah, that makes sense. That's why leadership is hard, because sometimes people stink. But as I read, as I started to read it, I realized that actually the title there refers to to us, to the elders, to the leaders. It's referring to the, the elders and good pastors who smell like sheep because They live with their their sheep. They do life with their sheep. They know them. They walk with them, especially through the hard times. They lay down their lives, their time, their comfort zones, their schedules, their desires to put the sheep's needs above their own. Like Christ himself who said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the kind of leader you want, brothers and sisters. That's the kind of leader I want to be for you. Do you know the difference between a shepherd and a rancher. Ranchers 
drive their cattle from behind. Shepherds lead their sheep from ahead. Jesus didn't drive anyone. Jesus didn't herd anyone. People willingly followed him. Paul didn't say, hey, stupid Corinthians. I'm Paul, author of half the New Testament. Fall in line. Paul says, insofar as I am modeling for you as your shepherd leader a good example of what it looks like to walk with Christ, then I invite you. I don't demand you. I don't coerce you. I welcome you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians uh, 11.1. Follow my lead and you will grow in Christ-likeness. If you want one quality of a pastor, that's it. I mean, find, find someone who can look you in the face and say with a straight face, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me. Friends, that too is what I'm going to strive for with God's grace and God's help every single day. A pastor leads by example. They say the best way to know if you're a leader is to turn around. See if you've got any followers. And you all have followed Gary for 30 years now, some of you have followed Gary. I want to be the kind of pastor that is worth following. That's my prayer for myself. And as the church, I hope you are praying for me. We'll get to that next week. I hope you are praying for me to be that too and holding me to that standard. Quality number three of a shepherd is that he restores. David says, he restores my soul. God himself heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So once again, We are called to follow in his lead, to restore, to strengthen, to heal, to bring relief to those in our charge. Jesus praises the example of the good Samaritan in Luke 10 who bound up the man's wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him over his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. James 5 asks, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. But once again here, it's not just sick physically. What's more important than physical health, restoring physical health, it's it's spiritual health. It's even more vital. So we hear Paul say in Galatians 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Sin is a spiritual cancer. And so as pastors, as elders and shepherds, we are called to recognize when someone's spiritual health is in danger, suffering because of sin. Whether it's their own sin, whether they're caught in a transgression, or it's someone else's sin that is crippling their own spiritual health, a burden that someone else has laid on them unfairly that they shouldn't have to carry by themselves. We are called to recognize that as shepherds, and then to seek to restore, either by gently calling the person in sin to repentance or by helping the one sinned against to carry that heavy burden. God wants wholeness for his people. He wants holistic health. So when he sees brokenness, his goodness compels him to seek our restoration, and it ought to also, in the same way, compel us, not only as shepherds, but as his people. And so my one-minute pitch here to you is if you, as members of this flock at West Hills, if you have areas of your life of brokenness, physical, spiritual, or emotional, whether by virtue of your own sin 
which is always harder, or someone else's sin against you, if there's any brokenness, please let me invite you to let me as your pastor, let us as your elders, let us shepherd, let us support you, let us do our part to seek restoration for you. God is omniscient. We are not. We only know about it if we, if we hear about the need. Let us in. Let us serve you. We, we won't do it perfectly, but I can personally attest to the shepherd's hearts of the seven uh, elders, shepherd leaders, shepherd restorers of this church. They are godly men. They are good men. They want to serve you well. They want to provide for you, to lead you, to restore you. So let us do that. Let us come alongside you and help you. That's what we're here for. That is what we signed up for collectively. A quality number four of a good pastor is that he exhorts. David says, he leads me. God leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So Jesus says in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate. Uh, The way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And it's even fewer and even harder when you're dealing with sheep who are prone to wander, who are prone to go astray off the narrow path, to leave the 99 and get lost going off and doing their own thing. But this is where a loving shepherd will leave the 99, go get you, and seek to bring you back to the path of righteousness, to the right path. That's another translation of the Hebrew. There is nothing loving about a pastor or any other Christian, for that matter, who turns a blind eye to unchecked sin in the hearts of those around him. Most of the exhortation that you will receive from me as your pastor will be indirect in the form of teaching and preaching. The Holy Spirit will convict you about an area of sin as we unpack the scriptures together. But listen... I want to be very clear with you right up front from the start. If you are straying from the path of righteousness in a way that merits personal, direct exhortation, I want you to know that you can expect that from me as your pastor. If you are cheating on your wife, expect to hear about it. If you are neglecting, mistreating your kids, if you are binge drinking every night of the week, if you're binge watching Netflix, Expect to hear about it. What kind of pastor would I be? What kind of pastor would you want who would know that you're consciously living in sin and and say nothing about it and do nothing about it? If I didn't seek to restore you in gentleness. Remember Hebrews 13. I've got to answer to God. If if, if, if we as as elders, shepherds, if we hear about it, now we answer to God about that. I've got to give an account for my negligence in overseeing your soul, my failure to confront a brother in sin, Matthew 18. That is not a suggestion from Jesus. That's a command. And I would much rather give an account to you for hurting your feelings than to to Jesus for disobeying him. It's just the way it is. And, And remember, if you're a member here at West Hills, remember, I want to remind you of the covenant that that we agreed to, the accountability that you requested of us as your shepherd exhorters. Article 5 of West Hills Constitution, we promise by the aid of the Holy Spirit to forsake the ways of sin and walk in the paths of righteousness, to give and receive admonition when necessary. But here's the thing, I hope 
whether you're a member or not, I, I, I hope that you invite that not just from us as shepherd exhorters, but from everyone around you to sharpen you in that way, to challenge you, to sanctify you. We, we're not called as a church to walk around condemning one another. We're not going to, you know, I'm not looking, we're not going to create the holiness police here and, 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 and a bunch of you know, church members who, you know, walk around condemning one another for accidentally sleeping through Sunday school. Um, but we are called to exhort one another every day, Hebrews 3, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And if the people around you don't love you enough to hold you accountable, if they don't love you enough to call you back to the path of righteousness when you stray off it, to push you towards godliness and Christ-likeness, then frankly, you need better friends. Uh, frankly, you need a better church. You need a better life group, better shepherds. We want to be those kinds of good shepherds for you. I want to be that kind of a good pastor. Quality number five of a pastor is he comforts. A shepherd comforts. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. But it sure is nice to have others around too to comfort you, to be present as well. Not to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the dark night of your soul, by yourself, alone. A good shepherd pastor will be there for you. It's interesting that David mentions two comforts here in the passage. First, he's comforted simply by the shepherd's presence. He says, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You're there with me. And so like a heavenly shepherd, or our heavenly shepherd, a good pastor comforts you at times simply by his presence. Sometimes that's all I can do for you be with you. When you lose a loved one, when you lose your job, when, when you go through divorce, major surgery, there's not much as a pastor else that I can do for you. I can pray for you. I can pray with you. But that's, it's mostly a ministry of presence just to be with you. And I want you to know, as the flock of West Hills, that I'm here for you. You should expect that from me. That's what I want to do and to be for you. But you should also know, just going on record from the start again, expectations. I'm human. That's hard for me. That is hard for me. I am a doer. I'm a fixer. I'm good with the restoring part. And point number three, counseling and giving advice. But I struggle when I feel like there's nothing I can do. That's hard for me. But I'm going to try to just simply you know, be with you, be a presence. I'll get better at that. Give me opportunities to do that, to, to get better at it. Reach out. Let me be a pastor who comforts you. Let us be elders who are, who are shepherds who are there with you during those tough times. But then also notice, even here in this, in this uh, verse, verse five that David, or verse four, David refers to God's rod and staff comforting him. What is that? The rod and the staff. MacArthur says, the shepherd's club and crook were instruments of protection and direction, respectively. So his rod was for defending the sheep against would-be predators, and the staff, was for, uh, with the hook on the end, right, was for pulling sheep back onto the path, for de defending them, frankly, against themselves. And so a good shepherd protects his flock from threats both, both external and internal. And that should give you comfort, brothers and sisters. I want to be a pr protecting 
shepherd for you against threats from the outside, false doctrines, lies and schemes of the enemy, powers and principalities of the world, spiritual warfare, but also against the internal threats, your own sin. I'm here for you. I'm here for you as your pastor. Quality number six of a pastor is that he calls. He calls you to greatness. He, he challenges you in a good way. Verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What's going on there? Well, in the Bible, whenever God anointed someone, especially in the Old Testament, it meant he was commissioning them to something. It was a visible, external, tangible sign, symbol of an internal calling on their life, a sacrament of sorts. So picture the scene that David paints here. It's kind of bizarre. It's some weird imagery that isn't like restful and great anymore unless you get what's going on. He says, my cup overflows. I mean, when you see that happen in a scene in a movie, you get stress, right? You're like, ah, you want to grab for the paper towels. That is not a good thing. You're making a mess all over the table unless your cup isn't intended just for you, right? Unless you're called to be a disciple who makes disciples. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Now, all of a sudden, having too much beverage is a good thing because you can share it. You're paying it forward. You're blessed to be a blessing to others. And so a good pastor recognizes that and calls you to that, inspires you, challenges you, pushes you, equips you, and then empowers you and sends you to go do it, to go be the hands and feet. So think about it. Again, imagery. God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Um, thanks, but... Are there any other open, available tables? Like, I'll wait. Anything on the, on the patio? But here's the thing. God doesn't commission us to be comfortable. He calls us to bear fruit as we partner with him in the advancement of his kingdom. And so your enemies, and more importantly, God's enemies, those without faith, those still living in active rebellion against the king, they're exactly the people that God wants us to dine with. They're exactly the people he wants to use us to reach with the saving news of Jesus. That's your mission field. That is who he's anointing you to go reach. So a good pastor calls you back to that again and again and again. The mission and the vision of the church, serving the world missionally with the love of Christ, straight from our mission statement, to make disciples who reach all of St. Louis with the gospel of Jesus that is what I'm charged with keeping in front of you as your pastor, calling you. And finally, quality number seven of a shepherd is he blesses. A good shepherd blesses. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, I just want for you to be able to say, man, I am so much better. My life is so much better because Will Duvall is my pastor because he's here at West Hills. But, it's always a but, the twist ending at the, at the ending of the sermon. 
as much as I can promise you that I will try, strive with all of my heart and mind and soul and strength, and most importantly, with God's strength and God's grace and God's power and God's help to be a good shepherd for you, a good teacher, a leader, a restorer, exhorter, comforter, caller, a blesser, a blessing to you, I can equally promise you that I will fail you. I've been here for three years already. I, I can almost promise you that in most of your cases, I've I failed you already in some, in some way. And I can promise you I'll do it again because I'm sinful. I am broken in my own ways. I am a fallible human under-shepherd. And there is only one capital G good shepherd. He is the one who will never let you down. Jesus, the only shepherd and overseer of your your souls. You want provision? He's the bread of life. You want leading? He is the word that is a lamp unto our feet. You want restoring? He takes people like us who once were blind and he makes us see. You want exhorting, comforting, calling, blessing? He's your guy. Not me. I'm just a guy who points us back to the guy every week. Praise the Lord that he is our shepherd, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, who died in our place as we sang earlier this evening, that he is our provision. We shall not want for anything. Our salvation, our hope, our peace, our comfort, our secure in him. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a good shepherd. God, that you are not content to lead from heaven, to send down orders, to hurt us from behind, but that you came down, condescended, to lead us from ahead, to gently invite us to follow you. What a, what a privilege, what a pleasure, what a blessing that is. We know your yoke is, is, easy, is easy and your burden is light. It's so good to follow you. Life works so much better when we follow you, our good shepherd. Even in that passage, John 10, you tell us you came that we might have life abundant, life to the fullest. You're such a good shepherd. Thank you for who you are and for what you do for us and the ways that you lead us. Thank you that Most of all, you have led us in your death, in your resurrection, and you lead us into new life. You allow us to be joined with you in your death and also in your resurrection, to die to ourselves in a bad way of life, to be raised to a new way of life and to eternal life with you forevermore. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you for the present day hope and peace and joy and blessing of following such a good shepherd. Father, I pray for myself. I pray that you would make me a better follower of you, that I would be a better pastor to our flock here at West Hills. And I pray for them. I pray that for all of us, that we would follow you uh, better. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your shepherding. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.